Are you having trouble finding the right bank or broker to give you note deals? Brecht Palombo is the founder of DistressPro.com. He's going to discuss with Joe everything he has learned over the years in the business world and how his company can help you when it comes to finding the right deals. What they both believe the first quarter of 2021 will look like and why Breck feels financial discipline is the key to increasing your net worth. Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Robert Show. This, this is The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. Hello, Breck. Welcome to the show. Let's get rolling by giving us a brief background about your investing experience and what you invest in today. Sure. Well, the truth is most of my experience in uh, real estate notes has been as a broker, make my money on the trades. And so what that uh, required is that um, most of my, is that I got really good at finding deals um, and working with buyers and, and sellers. Historically, I've not been the best investor. I've been much better, I've <laughs> been much better um, at sales and, and marketing and putting deals together and all of that. Um, over the last few years, I've, I've definitely gotten better at that. But most of my experience in this business, and most of my success in it has been with uh, facilitating trades. Is that, is that in, the, in that aspect, is that also primarily sourcing? Yeah, exactly. Finding, finding ready, willing, enabled sellers and capable buyers and putting them together through a variety of of means. Yeah. And so I started that back in, uh, if we go all the way back, I was in software sales in the late nineties. Uh, and then um, when the dot-com bust happened, I got into real estate and uh, I think 2000, I actually started off as a rental broker on Newbury street in Boston, which is like a very um, that's, that's their high end retail row. And then very quickly realized that I didn't want to do that um, and got into residential sales and then very, very quickly moved towards, I was attracted to the numbers and moved towards uh, investment sales, mostly with independent investors and small commercial investors and rode that up through 2006, 2007, doing a, a lot of, you know, we'd buy anything converted into residential units and, you know, and sell it. And then um, when the global financial crisis hit, um, I actually, uh, it got so frothy in the, in just the, you know, the, my regular course of business, I was seeing these crazy, stupid deals go down. Uh, and I thought this can't go on forever. You know, I've been through a crash before I was in the dot-com crash. It felt like this, it felt like a frenzy. It felt crazy. And um, so what am I going to what am I going to do? Uh, and I went to an auction that was held by this guy, uh, JJ Manning, who's a big auctioneer out in uh, New England. And I sat there and I watched him sell like 20 or $30 million worth of assets in about 90 minutes. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. Like, that's way better than what I've been doing. I, I think I should do that instead. Uh, and so the whole thing kind of came together. Uh, over the next couple of years, uh, where I got myself positioned for that and for the crisis that did come come to bear. And yeah, so then in 2009, after spending a couple of years calling on banks and lenders, because that's a lot of what that guy was selling um, that day, was sort of dribs and drabs from a number of uh, community and regional lenders. And I thought, well, you know, if things go 
the way I think they're going to go, then, then you know, as you know, uh, when we talk about note investing, like the further down you are in the stack, you know, yeah. that's who's in control of of the asset. And so uh, there's not a lot of reason to be messing with, you know, equity that's been wiped out, you know, and is clinging to hopefully a bankruptcy to get through, <laughs> you know, to get through a deal, um, go further down in the stack and deal with the folks who are actually in charge. Uh, which is the lenders when things go when things go sideways. So that's what I did. Um, and after a couple of years of um, just sort of picking up the phone and and you know calling through, and I had this little training in Pennsylvania uh, with a national this national real estate auction company that I had uh, hooked up with, and I, I held the licensing, represented them in in a few states. And they opened this, it was so silly because it was like, you know, it was like, I don't want to say mimeographed because that had, you know, that a bunch of people listening to this, they don't even know what a mimeograph is, but it was that old. It was like some old training. And it talked about where to find well, which of all of the, you know, at the time, 16,000 banks and credit unions had um, non-performing assets. And that sort of like opened up this whole other avenue, um, spent a bunch of time um, learning about that. And then in August of 2009, I said, uh, well, slightly before that, actually, I'd read the four hour work week yeah. uh, in June of that year. And I thought, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> it all sounds good at first, especially if you're overworked. It sounds good in the moment, right? Yeah. Well, and I was. I mean, uh, we're talking about driving you know, getting over a thousand miles a week, uh, covering multiple states. Sometimes I'd drive, you know, just looking at deals, looking at projects, uh, because when you cover a broad enough, a broad enough area and you're in commercial, it's like, I mean, you're, I was on the road uh, a lot. Anyway, uh, long story short, I decided that a product with recurring revenue would be a good thing to have. And uh, in August of 2009, I launched distressprocom our first version of that, which I still have some screenshots and stuff of what that looked like. It's a bit of an embarrassment, but that's okay. <laughs> we're, we're, we're past that now. We're you know four versions later. Um, so now it's been eleven years, and what we do is um, I have DistressPro.com, and and we have a software application called Bank Prospector, and we pull in all of the non-performing note and REO information for every bank and credit union in the U.S. Um, and then we pair that with in-house contact data. We have uh, a um, full-time contact staff. We spend about 300 man hours, uh, person hours, I guess I should say, uh, a month collecting, updating, adding, editing uh, contact info uh, for all the decision makers at all these places. And so that's, uh, I think I went beyond the question that you asked, but that's uh, sort of uh, where we started and how we got to where we are here today. Well, that's fine. I mean, you kind of uh, led to, I mean, over the last 10 years I've been in the investing space, there hasn't really been anybody that I've seen to kind of break that code to directly source easily because even we've attended quite a few of the MBA conferences and traveled around to many and, you know, it takes a while to establish relationships. So, I mean, yeah, it does. building a that's software exactly. definitely uh, has to be a, a great benefit. What is, you know, uh, the bank prospector kind of, can you break that down and what it does? Yeah. So banks and credit unions are federally insured your money when you put 
money with them are it's federally insured. And so part of what comes with that insurance is this heavy regulation and the regulation requires that they file reports. And in those reports, um, it exposes uh, basically everything that you would need to know about which banks and credit unions to pursue. Spoiler alert, it's your small community and regional lenders. You know, if you're calling on Bank of America or Wells Fargo or Chase, um, I have done deals with a couple of those and it's usually with uh, a commercial workout office that's a regional office that they have some, you know, deal that, and that's the way that works. But for the most part, the, the big boys like, you got to show up with a significant amount to, to make anything worthwhile for to make it worth them talking to you. I'm sorry, did I get off track about your question? No, I mean, I, I mean, in regards to that, I mean, I agree, you know, most of the applications to get on a list for the bigger banks has been at least like a $50 million uh, balance sheet, right? And then they also want to maybe see some audited financials for a couple of years or whatever that may be. So for yeah. most people entering, that is definitely going to be a challenge. And I think they automatically assume that that is the best place to go to, right? <laughs> right, right. You say, well, oh, they have so much of it. That must be the right place. But, you know, a lot of times I hear from folks and they're like, oh, I found this property, you know, I'm in Florida. I found this property in Tampa and the loans with, you know, uh, B of A and they're, it's going to notice a default and I want to, um, you know, buy the note. I'm like, well, good luck. Like, they're, you know, that's not like, um, I can't help you with that. And nobody can. Uh, because it does take relationships and does take time. And what we want to help you do is identify the right lenders where you need to make those relationships, then the people who work there so that you can engage with them so that you can be there when the deals happen. And that's really the way, if you're going to go direct to institutions, that's really the way this works. You know, a lot of people will say, well, can I get, um, you know, can I get their list? Can I get the, you know, the list of, of, you know, non-performing notes that they have? Well, no, you can't <laughs> like, because that, it doesn't work like that. Imagine if you, every time you fell behind on a payment, there was like some portal where people could log in and, <laughs> and see people, you know, behind on their, like, I don't think, I don't think we'll ever see that in, in, in the U S and so, um, or anywhere. Uh, so, the way it does work is that there are asset managers, workout officers, they go by a variety of, of uh, names, but that generally, you know, they're in that sort of space and all day long, they get files on their desks and then they put them into a spreadsheet, which a lot of people call a tape. And then they evaluate, you know, what do we have to do with each one of these things? And then they go to meetings and they're reporting about what they want to, you know, how they want to handle it. And that, but they're real people and they live in your community and they put on pants every day, take a bologna sandwich to work. And they're looking for solutions for individual assets, but they're not posting them online. There's no, you know, it, does, it doesn't work like that. So instead what we say is, okay, well, First things first, if there are 12,000 uh, lenders, uh, credit bank and credit unions in the US, then I can't call them all. Even if I called, you know, five a day, every single day, we're talking about years to get through a single call. So let's first reduce that down to which of these lenders actually has the types of assets that I'm after. And then there are other indicators that you can look at uh, that you can see, okay, do they have a history of selling? Can we see that they've sold non-accrual loans in the past? Can we see that they're 
holding some of them uh, right now. Um, can we see that they've got REO? Is their uh, condition improving or deteriorating? Do we see each month, each quarter that uh, their non-performers are stacking up? Do we see that they're taking charge-offs? You know, this kind of stuff. And so first we'd reduce this world of lenders down to a smaller, more approachable mix. Then we say, okay, well, who works here? And, and how do I find them? What are the, you know, what are my connections to them and, and what, are, what are the ends? But it really does take, it's not, this isn't a transactional business. So you don't just, you know, you don't pick up the phone. R rarely you pick up the phone and say, hey, do you have any notes for sale? And they're like, yeah, here's the tape. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's not, that's not typically um, how it works. And so, you know, we have seen folks turn over some stuff pretty quick within, you know, as little as few as 60 days and they're, they're, you know, engaged uh, with a lender, but for them, but that's because they did the work to identify the people to, to speak with them on a human level and to, to talk about like, what is that you're, that you're dealing with, you know, in your role at your bank? How can I help you with that? Here's what we do. Here's, you know, how, how we're able to help. And that's how relationships get established. And then, and then it's a continual following up and touching base and adding a little value all the time so that when something comes in, helping them understand where and when you can help so that when something does come across their desk, that's appropriate for you that you can say, I know just the guy, you know, for that one, he's buying this kind of stuff. An example of that, you know, if you're doing failed construction projects. Now, right now, we're at, I don't know if you want to get into economics and whatnot, we're at a really weird time. I anticipated construction wipeout uh, by, by this time. Uh, but I think the residential market outside of urban centers has been so strong um, that that hasn't happened. But what has happened is there's tons of people in businesses not paying rent, right? And so these files are, are landing on desks today at uh, your community and regional and local banks where they went heavy into commercial real estate because they, it's been become more and more difficult to compete on residential. You know, you've got these big uh, non-bank uh, mortgage brokers and mortgage bankers doing huge volumes. And, you know, First National Bank, Oregon, I made that up. It's not a real bank. You know, they're not going to compete on a, on a large scale. With but you're saying basically like BlackRock and everybody's coming in with all these non-QM products. Is that what you're saying? Like, I'm saying that resident, residential mortgage lending largely has been taken over by non-bank got got lenders. It. Now there's still hundreds of billions of loans, you know, being uh, written by banks and credit unions, but um, they, a bigger and bigger portion is going to, um, is going to non-bank lenders. That's what I'm saying about that. Yeah. So I think we're at a weird, I think we're at a weird place right now. We've had a lot of, um, even with real high unemployment and with uh, like a whole web of complex issues, I think that the stimulus and the um, the increased, um, you know, like with our forbearances and our eviction, uh, like uh, moratoriums, I think that I don't think this market is really 
fully exposed yet, if that makes sense. I don't think that like the 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 truth of it is is been laid bare, if that yeah. makes sense. So that makes sense. I'm talking a lot, Joe. Sorry if I'm uh, hey man, <laughs> not a problem. We're having fun. So let's let's kind of like so for the listeners, let's say like walk through the process, right? Because you you you've built something that typically is not available out there. Um, you know, if someone, well, first of all, if someone wants, what type of assets are available to kind of uh, target through the application that you guys have? Is it just notes, sure. REOs, commercial, residential, everything? Yeah. So banks report, lenders support different categories of assets. So they commercial uh, owner-occupied, commercial known owner-occupied, residential senior, residential junior, residential home equity lines of credit construction for development, construction for, uh, and that's also for land held for development, um, and residential construction, multifamily and apartment, um, farm or agricultural land, auto loans, consumer credit cards, and business loans, CNI loans, commercial and industrial loans that are uh, not secured by real estate. And I think, I don't know if your audience pays attention to that kind of thing, but that, I think this would be a huge uh, opportunity in that there are a lot of, sadly, a lot of businesses uh, struggling under this new condition that we're in. And I think there's gonna be huge opportunity there for, for a number of reasons. So um, within that, banks report uh, 30 to 89 days late, 90 plus days late, and then non-accrual, which means there's no longer any hope of being repaid according to terms. As you probably know, non-performing notes, anything 90 plus days, days late. So, uh, and then in addition to that, there's REO for each of those categories, if that makes sense. Okay. So if someone wants to buy, let's say Florida, uh, you know, first senior liens, you know, first position senior liens, uh, pr primarily in Florida, you know, what would yeah. that process typically look like, you know, within your platform? Would they log sure. in kind of give me that? Please. Yeah, within our platform, I mean, the best way to do that would be to use, and we're, we're right now we're kind of releasing a, a few different things that are, that are coming up, but we have a sort of a quiet feature in there called Power Search, which uh, will be on our dashboard on our next version, which we're working to release this quarter. Um, and I would go in there, I would pull up the, you know, on the map, I'd look at uh, the area that you're looking in. It'll show you um, every bank that has a uh, any kind of branch or location in that area. Uh, and then you can filter that down to say, okay, now only show me those in this area that have whatever type of asset it is that you're looking for. If you just check a box and you say, show me, you know, residential seniors, uh, non-performing residential seniors. Um, and then from there, you'll get a list of uh, all of the banks uh, and not yet credit unions, but all the banks in the power search for that. And then um, it'll tell you how many contacts uh, there are there. Uh, from there, what we recommend you do, because we talked about that this is a relationship business, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not a one and done. So we have a target list feature in there. So we recommend you add them to a target list and then you begin working through that list. And you say, okay, well, what are my top priorities uh, on here? Where do I have the contacts? Where might I already have an in? Go check LinkedIn. Are you already, you know, connected to somebody? Are you pretty close to being able to be? And then you put together a prospecting plan and you say, okay, well, I'm going to reach out to, let's say we've got a hundred banks on our target list. And that means I've got five or 600 contacts total. Well, rather than just going at it 
willy nilly. She'd have a plan. She'd say, okay, well, I'm going to reach out in this manner. I'm going to contact. And I recommend if you're familiar with um, Gary Keller, uh, millionaire real estate agent, millionaire um, real estate investor are two of his books. And he lays out, it's Gary Keller of Keller Williams. And he lays out a really nice framework for exactly this kind of approach. And he starts with what he calls an eight by eight, which is eight contacts over eight weeks. I recommend you start with something like that. Or make up if you want to do six over six and, you know, just do something, right? <laughs> yeah, do something, but that it happens in a very prescriptive way. And the reason is that um, if I'm going to contact 500 people and I've said, oh, geez, no one's getting back to me. Well, maybe it's what you're saying or how you're saying it or where you're saying it. But if you don't know, if you're not disciplined about that if you're not looking at that and saying okay this is how i say it then you have no way to measure you have no way to adjust or or correct and so um that's what i recommend is that you you identify your your market you identify the people within that market you put together a plan uh that you execute for an initial introduction phase like the eight by eight and then uh, on the back end of that Gary Keller talks about the 33 touch. Now you can make it a 17 touch or a 56 touch if you want to, <laughs> but uh, it's over the course of a year so that they have no question uh, about what you're, what's going out to whom and when. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, do you think that, uh, I call it the lack of success or uh, the ability for maybe a typical customer to, to execute is that they're really just impatient and that they don't have enough touches over time to establish and build a relationship yes <laughs> i mean that's that's all it's always the three feet from gold or some saying yeah. right it's always everyone yeah. stops short right yeah it's almost exclusively uh like i mean first off you got to be able to talk right i mean if 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 you struggle with communication in any way this like you need to get better at, at that in order to succeed at this or anything that's going to involve real estate or sales, unless you're an analyst or something. That's like groundwork, like stage one. Stage two is that you need to understand that like anything in sales, it's a numbers game. Like you're going to put it, if you put in a certain volume, you know, at a certain quality, you're going to get a ratio of success. And so you can, in order to improve your results, you can increase volume where you can increase ratio of success. And the only way to increase your ratio of success is in my opinion, by being disciplined about the way that you're doing your approach so that you can have an analytical view at what am I saying? How am I saying it? And why is it or isn't it working? How can I improve that? And so most people don't want to do that. Most people want a quick fix. Um, and so it's really not, uh, I, and I, talk about this in my uh, free web class, uh, which if you're interested in getting down in like deep into the stuff, uh, you can find that at the site. Um, but um, it really isn't, um, you don't pick up the phone, they send you a tape, you make a bid, and you're, you're closed, you're, go you're going to have to have a better plan uh, than that. And so I try to dissuade folks who would like an easy button. So as they narrow down like uh, their target, 
uh, asset class, location, whatever, and they have that list, do they export that or do you have it in software CRM or how are they managing those contacts? Yeah, so people do it different ways. We do have like a light CRM in there, which basically is just reminders uh, and notes. So you can take notes, set reminders, set dates and that kind of thing. But really what you, what most of the folks do who I know who are really working pretty hard is if they're, um, you need cold email software. Now I actually, shameless plug, I'm developing or have developed and we're releasing that over at realtymotor.com as a feature, um, which is another company that I uh, am a partner in, but there are a bunch of good ones, Connect365, Woodpecker, there are a bunch, look up cold email software, but that's a good start because a lot of the con today's conversations are starting on email, you know? Um, and so I suggest that a lot of people use spreadsheet. I know some people who use cards. Um, so there's <laughs> like, it's like, I don't want to prescribe any, you know, particular CRM or whatever, whatever, whatever it is that each day when you sit down and you have your allotted time for finding deals, you know what the heck you're going to do, who you're going to talk to and what you're going to say each day um, that you plan to do that. And so I know some people are in Excel and you know, whatever. So there's a lot. So from the existing customers, can you kind of give us some maybe case studies or just like a quick walkthrough of some successful people and what kind of assets they've been able to acquire at some, you know, some kind of scale? Sure. My favorite one is Paul Marshall because it was so uh, dramatic, but Paul, Paul signed up and this was a little while back, but he signed up in the spring, not this spring and didn't really do anything till September, October. And then by March, he was closing a trade uh, that was in the low 20 millions of residential firsts for a, a regional California uh, bank. Uh, he was not the purchaser, he was the broker uh, on that. But no other bidders, um, like just a sole, a sole buyer there in, in that transaction? In and they gave him an exclusive on, uh, an ex exclusive right to sell. Okay. On that. Um, another uh, guy, Joe Bay Arena, uh, is a great guy down in Texas. He had a, um, they actually weren't non-performing. And so once you get into this, and you start talking to folks, you find out that the local community and regional banks have, it's not a straight line all the time. It's not, it's not, everything isn't, uh, people want it to be completely standard. It's not completely standard. Things, you know, things are, are these are individual businesses and things vary, you know, business to business. He ended up finding a package of, um, they weren't even non-performing. They were just no longer in the box for this uh, lender. They no longer fit the lending parameters that they, that they wanted. There was some kind of program that they ran there. And so he took that whole package down there. Lots of individual commercial deals, which is the way commercial deals are usually sold. It's not usually a tape. It's usually individual deals um, when you're individual properties. So do you have, uh, it sounds like you have brokers and direct buyers on the platform, right? Sure. Yeah. We have family offices. We have, um, I mean, sometimes I get the question, they're like, I just want to buy one second. Well, you know, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I would go to Paperstack. Yeah or um, similar, but you're going to pay a premium for that, right? You're going to pay, if you're going off and you're picking off individual notes like that, there's, um, 
you're paying retail. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. And so what I'd suggest instead is you do like my friend, Mike Rusica talks about noteconference.com. And he talks about that the way he started his business was just, and he's a customer and he's sourced a ton of deals. He has one bank that um, he's over 1700 loans have come through, uh, yeah, come through there. So he talks about just finding deals for his friends to start, you know, because if you go find a tape, like they, they don't, they don't want to sell you one, you know, that's not, that's not the way this goes. They want to sell, you know, dozens or sometimes, you know, sometimes hundreds. And so you need to be, you need to be networking to have a way that you're going to, to distribute those. May, like maybe you carve one off for yourself. Maybe you, the rest go to three other investors. Maybe the other investors even pay, uh, you know, the full boat for the thing. And you just carve that, that one out for yourself. Maybe you write yourself into the deal, you know, at 10% equity, just for putting the thing together, or maybe you get a per file fee, but don't approach this with, I'm going to, I'm going to start calling and then I'm going to like, I hope to buy one deal for my IRA from a bank, (laughs) you know, like, I don't know. Like that's maybe better be a pretty small bank. So is there anything else outside of our conversation that is covered in the software that could bring value to the people that, you know, pay monthly? Lately, we're, we're, so in addition to all the banks and credit unions and contacts, um, we've been really ramping up our special servicer database. And so uh, some of our hundreds of man hours each month have been dedicated to that. And so the loan servicers, uh, we'll see what happens here over the next, you know, couple of quarters, but I think they're going to have stuff on their plate. So in addition to that, we have training. If you don't have a plan, if you don't know how you would say what you're going to say, we have the Bank Direct Mastery Academy. Um, and basically that's uh, six courses and we walk through everything that you need to know from if you like to get deep down in the numbers, we show you how to do that. Talk about some of the different kinds of deal structures that go together. We go over uh, an approach to a cold call. We have templates for uh, cold emailing. We have uh, scripts for LinkedIn. Um, and so, yeah. So if you're if you have some background in real estate, but you haven't worked with institutional sellers before, then the starting with some of that background and training, rather than just getting dumped into the software and having like a bunch of numbers, you know, to look at that can be overwhelming for folks. So um, if, if you do have experience working with institutional sellers or in commercial real estate, you don't think you need like cold calling training or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, then we do have uh, built into it, the uh, bank prospector mastery, which is a free training that's included uh, well, free training. It's included with the software that teaches you all of the numbers and everything that goes with it. So um, the Mastery Academy's, Academy is much more about putting together your eight by eight and your 33 touch. And what do you say? How do you say it? Who do you say it to? Um, what do these deals look like when they go together and, and that kind of stuff? That's good. So I think, yeah, I mean, definitely is a very important aspect of, you know, doing deals at this time is sourcing deals. I mean, just with the compression of cap rate supply and demand the last couple of years, you know, the inventory is not the same as it was five years ago. So I think the competitive landscape is, uh, you know, 
obviously a little more challenging today. So I'm assuming that you're maybe getting more clients to sign up to get directly to the source versus going through brokers. We've seen a surge of commercial real estate brokers in the last few months. I think, um, and rightly so, because that's where the game is going to be played is with the lender over this next as I don't know what it's going to look like at the end, but not going to be a lot of office property absorption <laughs> malls, you know, are going to be in trouble. We're going to see a lot more uh, restaurant retail foreclosure uh, bankruptcies. So it makes sense. Uh, it makes sense to be looking in that direction if you're in commercial. Well, commercial. let's go into that next, right? Cause you guys aggregate a lot of data, correct? Mm-hmm. Across all these different uh, banks and so forth. So yeah, everyone that's out in the marketplace right now is probably trying to make their own predictions of what's going to happen over the next 24 months with defaults and so forth across the different asset classes. Uh, You know, let's maybe just start on the residential side, you know, can you kind of break down what you're seeing there? Yeah. So I didn't come fully prepared here with uh, (laughs) my charts and graphs of which we have a bunch, but Residential uh, defaults have increased, multifamily defaults have increased, commercial real estate defaults have increased. What's really, really interesting is that credit card and auto loan defaults have fallen right off, like um, been cut by a third. And the only (laughs) that, as I'm trying to get my head around why that's happened, the only thing that I keep coming back to is that we've got all this stimulus going on out there and we've got the forbearance and we've got the eviction moratorium. So people are taking this opportunity to not pay their landlords, which I, is a whole other thing. If my eyes are going to turn red and my head. Yeah, don't worry about that. that. Um, we skip that. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's stay on the data, right? That's where you know, people want to know where are we going, right? What, yeah. what, what predictions and what markets? Yeah. So um, now, with the end of, uh, but residential um, non-performing loans have been increasing. Not REO though, because we have foreclosure moratoriums and we have eviction moratoriums. You can't, I mean, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I know that this is, this is the first time that it's, um, that's not true. I was going to say this is the first time that none of it's made any sense to me, but that's not. <laughs> <laughs> Usually that's nothing not. makes sense when you get in that euphoria type stage, right? Yeah. Uh, So what are you seeing, I guess, you know, within that residential realm, are you seeing more defaults within like an urban core, a secondary tertiary market, certain states, certain geographics, or is there any kind of patterns that that are kind of given any indication of what's happening? So our software doesn't, doesn't expose that kind of thing, but everything that I'm reading, and we have a weekly newsletter where we cover like the top six uh, articles of exactly this sort of um, uh, content or subject matter. And everything that I'm seeing is it's all suburban and even rural uh, is that's where things are gangbusters. I'm in Bend, Oregon. We're a resort town here and it's off the hook. I mean, the house that I bought, um, the house that I bought uh, 16 months ago, the uh, exact same house, basically, you know, six houses down sold for 20% more. Um, than I paid one month ago. So um, we're talking about like um, huge displacement of people from urban centers to to suburban. How long that holds out? I don't know. I guess I guess we'll just have to see what happens 
once uh, forbearance and more um, eviction moratoriums are lifted. Now, so. When I talk to my brokers on the you know residential side, they're telling me you know every time they're still coming out with a trade, they seem to always have an outlier bidder that is paying a premium price kind of over where they anticipate or where the majority of bids are coming. Do you think there's something behind maybe the amount of cash or dry powder on the sidelines that will not allow, let's say, a great price decrease, even with all the defaults over the next couple of years? Do you think it's going to be absorbed by the bigger players as a lower discount? Hmm. Don't know. Um, there's huge money out there, like family offices, private equity. I guess we'll have to we'll we'll have to see what happens there. The other thing that I'm seeing is that a lot of PEs like highly leveraged right now. So I don't, it's really hard to make any, it's really hard to make any predictions right now uh, about what's going to happen. I think we have to see with the, um, with the inoculations, with the um, vaccines, with the uh, end of the forbearance moratoriums uh, or eviction moratoriums and forbearances, what happens then and, and wherever one of the new presidents, whichever one <laughs> ultimately gets in, I guess, but whichever, well, you know, where they're going to lead the, where they're going to lead the country to, right. Or what laws they might want to change or implement, right. That could yeah. have a factor on how business is done. Yeah. I'm not going to touch that third yep. rail uh, of politics, but I, but uh, yeah, everything's up in the air and I don't think we will have any answers until first quarter. That's good. And so how about then, uh, you know, t that was the residential side. What do you see on the commercial side, multifamily? I mean, look, every, I mean, time, on, every time I'm on Facebook, there's everyone counting how many doors they're buying. Right. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's your thought? Do you think these guys, do you think multifamily could be strong? Do you think it's going to depend on the area? Do you think it's ABC class or maybe are you picking that up in any of the default information that I mean, there's definitely early indications. Yeah. Defaults are increasing significantly whether or not that means that there's just a buying frenzy on the other side um, with enough, with, you know, folks who have, who are not limping in, who have enough, you know, capital to buy and wait um, this out. I don't know. Um, it really is. Um, yeah. I don't want to make any, I don't want to make any predictions. We won't call it prediction, I guess. How do you, how do you think that uh, you would manage your portfolio? Would you say that, if you were a buyer, you kind of just be on the sidelines another quarter or two to see how things would play out. I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think so. I think that right now there's a lot of getting ready. That's what it seems like to me. Um, just had an interview with a good buddy of mine who works with a lot of banks and um, probably sold more for banks than almost anyone I know. And he is, they are, there is a lot of backed up paperwork you know, they first, first they all had to figure out how to work from home. Then they had to figure out how to work with their, because there's tons of counsel and attorneys involved. Then they had to figure out how to coordinate, you know, all of that kind of thing. And then yeah, they, they had, had a PPP thrown in there, right? My, some of the local banks were saying they were overwhelmed with the whole PPP thing, oh, completely. For, right? Yeah. I mean, typically different department, but nonetheless, like it's, they've been through, I mean, just navigating what's happening on a municipality by municipality basis, like what are the rules um, for that bank? And it changes from place to place. So I think that it's been a long time figuring out what's going to happen there or, or how they, what they can even do. 
and that's coming to an end, no matter what. I mean, that's that confusion, that that um, being stopped up, that is ending, you know, now over this quarter and next. Does your software scrape anything from uh, any type of private sellers, or, or is it all public institutional? We don't have private sellers. Okay. It's all institutional. Yeah. All right. Well, look. I mean, I think everything you provided today was, you know, great. I love, uh, you know, hearing about the software and ability to be able to source deals. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, one of the final questions we usually leave off with is, what is the biggest thing that you have implemented in your life that has increased your net worth? Financial discipline and specifically processes and procedures. So for a long time, I would make, you know, sometimes you're doing a deal on things that are millions or tens of millions. That's a big chunk. And I used to get that chunk and <laughs> maybe, maybe I carve off a little bit for taxes, you know, and then like, you know, the rest of it, I don't know, you know, anyway, completely changed the way that I approach finances. And so I am on a quarterly uh, rhythm. So um, all of our revenue goes into an operating account. I pay myself a small or a um, customary uh, W-2, um, uh, you know, regular paycheck. And then uh, each quarter on the first of each quarter, I look at what's in there and I have uh, a uh, calculation that determines how much I take and where everything goes. Um, and I implemented that maybe four years ago, something like that. And uh, total game changer. There's never any, there's no more like, um, there's no surprises. Things just grow in the right accounts. Just duplicating processes within the, your financials. Yeah. I mean, so many of, so many of the folks I know, especially who eat what they kill, you know, when they kill, they gorge. And that's like, <laughs> that's good. Don't, that's good. don't go buy a Tesla, you know, uh, I mean, maybe you should buy a Tesla, but not based on this. And so I think taking a much longer term, broader view of your finances, and then having a plan that's written down that you execute religiously on a schedule is the best way to, you know, to Get where you're trying to go and do you feel that like maybe the execution of that longer term vision for a lot of people just comes with maturity at least for myself i feel like uh, you know getting in my later 30s and you get these life lessons that you start learning and kind of having yeah. a further outlook yeah i think so i mean when you're in your earlier like so i'm 46 am i 46 i'm 46 you know you're making a bunch of money and you don't have kids it's easy to be like yeah, <laughs> I can do whatever I want with this. I'm the man, you know, and then you get down the road and you're just like, hmm, college, you know, just the constant clothes and like all the necessities of, of uh, adulting. And yeah, that definitely, bring, that definitely brings some pressure. But I still know a lot of folks who are living deal to deal and I think that's largely a discipline. That's largely like having a framework. You say, okay, this is how I'm going to approach my money from now on, and then just execute that. Um, and it's different for different businesses and you know different income streams. But um, but yeah, that's definitely been the biggest thing for me. 
Appreciate sharing that. Uh, for those that want to get a hold of you directly or subscribe to your software, what is the best way for them to reach you? Just head on over to distresspro.com. We try and lay out all our answers there pretty clear. There's a button down the bottom right corner if you need help or support from anybody. Um, and if it's something that um, they can't help you with, it'll get escalated to me. Um, if uh, you're, yeah, and that's probably how it started. Yeah. Well, Breck, thank you uh, for coming on the show today. I appreciate having you on. My pleasure, man. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. We'll see you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Robert Show.